the book of Genesis chapter 37 and verse 5. Now Joseph had a dream, and when he told it to his brothers, they hated him even more. While it is certainly true that not every dream is from the Lord, and you need to understand that not every time you dream, that's not necessarily a message from heaven, we should not discount the fact, we should not discount the fact that God, in, in fact, can speak to people through dreams. We see this throughout the Old Testament and even in the New Testament in Acts chapter 2 verse 17 it says your young men shall see visions, your old men shall dream dreams and he means as a result of the Holy Spirit being poured out on all men, on all flesh. And not only can God communicate to you in a dream while you're asleep, he can put a dream in your heart while you're awake. He can give you a glimpse of his plan for your life. So we cannot really talk about God-given dreams without mentioning Joseph. We just, we just can't do it. And the story gives us great insight into how God works in the lives of men and women. So Joseph dreamed that he and his brothers were binding sheaves of grain in a field. And Joseph's stalk stood up straight and his brothers bowed down in homage before it. And when his brothers heard this dream, there was no doubt about the meaning. They did not need someone to interpret it and they did not appreciate the meaning that he would rule over them. And the Bible says they despised him even more. Even if your dream is from God, that does not necessarily mean you have to tell it to everybody you know. There are some things that God will speak to you that are for your ears only. I'm sure you and your wife have intimate conversations. Do you broadcast all over the neighborhood everything your wife tells you? I don't recommend it. There are some things God tells you and he wants you to keep confidence. And if you have a blabber mouth, he'll stop talking to you. Now the hatred for Joseph did not begin with a dream. The Bible says in Genesis 37 verse three, that Jacob loved Joseph more than any other of his sons. Jacob loved Joseph more than any other of his sons. You see, Jacob, his father, was guilty of showing favoritism. Did you know that's not right? It's not right. James tells us if we are impartial, we favor the rich over the poor, for example, we commit sin. So Jacob showed more affection and concern for one of his sons compared to the others. And this lack of impartiality created animosity, anger, irritation, hatred among the brothers. And the funny thing about it is, I know this is not exactly about dreams, but it fits in. The funny thing about it is, you would think of all people, Jacob would know not to do this. 
You would think of, of anybody on earth, this guy would know not to do this. Think about it. His father, Esau, gave special attention and favor to his brother, uh, his father, Isaac, sorry. His brother, Isaac, I'm thinking about seven things at the same time while I'm up here, like the air conditioning's making a funny sound, all that kind of stuff. But his father, Isaac, gave special attention to his brother, Esau, and his mother, Rebekah, doted on him. In fact, his mother even instigated a fraud to cheat his older brother out of the inheritance. So because of this impartiality, this favoritism, loving one more than another, instead of he and his brother being comrades in arms and, and brothers, you know, who stick to one another, they became rivals and enemies. Are you listening to me? It is often the case that the sins of the fathers are passed on to the children. I said, it's often the case that the sins of the fathers are passed on to the children. Jacob did the same thing that his father did. And it created the same results. In fact, these two brothers eventually became nations. And guess what? They're still fighting each other. I said, they're still fighting each other. Are you listening to me? Hallelujah. So... Ironically, by telling his dream, Joseph set in motion a series of events that brought about its fulfillment, but not in the way he expected. In other words, by, by, by speaking and telling his brothers what God showed him, it actually did bring about the fulfillment of that dream but not in the way that he expected. The Bible tells us he was walking in an open field, far from home, by the way. He, he, they, they, his, he went to meet his brothers as they were grazing the herd, taking care of the sheep. And he was away from home, and they saw him coming, and they decided to murder him. And they said in Genesis 37, 20, here comes the dreamer. Isn't it interesting? Here comes the dreamer. Let us kill him, and we will see what becomes of his dreams. You know, if God speaks to you, if God shows you things, other people may not appreciate it. They may even try to kill you. But the wonderful thing is God had mercy on him. Reuben was the oldest son of Jacob. And he persuaded his brothers not to do this. And he suggested, let's throw him into an empty cistern, like a, like a dry well, you know. And, and so they all agreed to do that. And the Bible tells us that Reuben secretly intended to come back later and rescue his younger baby brother, Joseph. You see, at this time, uh, Joseph was probably somewhere between 17 and 20. And then Reuben would probably be somewhere between 30 and 35. So, you know, um, with age comes a greater capacity for empathy. 
When you're older, you, you can look back and think, well, you know, I remember when I was younger, I was also headstrong like that. And so he, uh, he wasn't threatened by this young man. And while Reuben was away, and I don't know where he was, the brothers decided on a better idea. We'll sell him as a slave. I mean, why kill him? That, that doesn't do anything. We'll make money off of him. We'll sell him as a slave. And when Reuben came back and found out what happened, he was distraught. The Bible says he tore his garment, which was a, a sign, an expression of great grief. And all I'm telling you is Reuben is like so many people we know today who have good intentions but somehow never managed to actually do anything about it. Do you know any Rubens in your life? People who they mean well, they have some good, noble thoughts, but they never actually fulfill them. They never actually do them. And so you know the story. Joseph became a slave in Egypt in the house of Potiphar. And he went from being the favored son of a wealthy herdsman to being nothing, chattel, property that belongs to another man, a foreigner living in a foreign land. But Genesis chapter 39, verse 2 says this. Are you still out there this morning? Genesis 39, 2 says this, but the Lord was with Joseph, and he became a successful man. Just because others are mistreating you, that doesn't mean God has abandoned you. I said, just because you're going through a hard time, that doesn't mean God has lost your cell number. He doesn't, he, he, he doesn't know where you live anymore. Jesus himself, who is God in the flesh, said in John 15, 20, if they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. So we shouldn't be surprised if the world hates you. In fact, the more you love the Lord, the more this world will hate you. So you'll have to compromise to get this world's affections. Come on, it's real quiet in this Holy Ghost Church. I said, you'll have to compromise to get this world's affections. Amen. His brothers abandoned him, but God did not forsake him. And the story of Joseph illustrates how a series of setbacks actually worked in his favor. That what looked like a setback was actually a stepping stone to something better because God delights in turning adversity into advantage. I said God delights in turning adversity into advantage. And the greater the challenge, the greater the glory. See, if David... If David had been seven feet tall and, and built like Mr. Atlas and killed Goliath, that wouldn't be much of a story. God said, no, that's not good enough. Let's pick the smallest, youngest, least experienced, least respected fellow. That's the one I want to use. So if you seem to have inabilities, rejoice. Because when you are weak, then you are strong. Because your inability accentuates and highlights God's ability working through you so that he gets the glory for it and not you. Hallelujah. Now, again, the Bible says the Lord was with Joseph and he became a successful man. Some Christians that we know and love and wonder about, some Christians are 
vehemently opposed to what is often called the prosperity message. You know, in some churches, some places, you know, all over the world, when you talk about prosperity, you know, they have an allergic reaction. They they get very upset about that. And truthfully speaking, to be honest, there are some people who have distorted the scriptures for their own personal advantage and gain. And in doing so, they have poisoned the minds of, of other people. But just because others misuse the Bible, that should not prevent us from correctly applying God's truth to our lives. Just because somebody went to an excess and extreme out of the bounds of Scripture, that shouldn't prevent me from believing what the Scripture actually says and living in it. Hallelujah. Then again, some Christians seem to think that prosperity means rupee notes and dollar bills falling down from heaven and landing on their forehead. Well, there are no rupee notes, uh, rupee notes in heaven. If there were, they'd be counterfeit, and God's not a counterfeiter, so that's not, that's not how God's going to meet your needs. It is true, it is true, God can move on people to give you money, you know, and, and even strangers. God can, can use all kinds of people, but I want to challenge you from now on. When you hear the word prosperity, we're talking about biblical prosperity, don't think money, think success. Don't be money-minded, be success-minded. Finances follow success. If you are successful in your business or whatever endeavor, generally speaking, I mean, I know there are other factors involved, but generally speaking, there will be an increase of resources. If you are excellent in your school as a teacher, you know, running your school, Generally speaking, more students will want to come. That means more resources. If you have a successful bakery, more customers want to come. If you have a successful medical practice, you know, more patients want to come, etc. So don't think about just money. Think about God helping you to be successful in what he's called you to do. In fact, Genesis chapter 39 verse 3 says this. Genesis 39 verse 3, his master, that's Potiphar, saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord caused all that he did to succeed in his hands. So this is a really good definition of prosperity. Everything that Joseph attempted, God made it work. God made it work well. It accomplished its intended results. Now see, there are some people who never put their hand to anything. So God has nothing to bless. See, under the old covenant, God said to Israel, I will bless everything you put your hand to. But if you don't put your hand to anything, if you don't do anything, then there's nothing to bless. Even if God was to bless you a hundredfold, what's a hundred times zero? It's zero. See, Joseph wasn't the kind of person just to sit home and stare out the window and watch the clouds go by. He, he, he evidently, you can tell from reading, he had a good work ethic. Come on, it's real quiet in this Chinese church. Do you not speak English? I said, God, evidently, Joseph had a good work ethic. 
God does not promote laziness. Come on, some people are praying, oh God, rend the heavens. No, maybe we need to rend your backside because it's laziness that's keeping you from moving forward. Hallelujah. Look at your neighbor and say, I think he's talking about you. Now, friend, God is with you just as much as he was with Joseph. The Bible says in Matthew 28, 20, and behold, Jesus said, behold, I am always with you. I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Notice he didn't say, I'll be with you as long as you have money. (laughs) I'll be with you in the good times. I'll be with you when the sun is shining. I'll be with you when the birds are singing. No, he'll be with you always, good, bad, When you're popular, when you don't have a friend in this world, he will never leave you. He will never forsake you. Hallelujah. And and even Potiphar, even Potiphar, who nobody ever accused of being godly, even Potiphar recognized the blessing of God is on Joseph. Sinners, sinners should see the favor of God upon your life. You don't have to tell everybody you meet, I'm blessed and highly favored. They should see it. They should see it. Hallelujah. So after I graduated from Bible school, which was a long time ago, it was in the last century. After I graduated from Bible school, I applied for a job working for a printing company. That was in my heart to do that. And they hired me as a trainee. They were going to train me to operate a high-speed printing press. In fact, the, the owner of the company hired me in part because I had graduated from Bible school. He was uh, a devout Catholic, but he respected the fact that I went to Bible school. And so uh, I began working. Now, the man who trained me was a sinner with a capital S. He wasn't just a sinner. He was a shinner. <laughs> and, um, I mean, he, he, he was vulgar. He was profane. He told crude jokes. He drank. He smoked. He was immoral. He's just, you know, not... A, uh, he, was, he, was a re- he was really good sinner. He was good at what he did. <laughs> he did it with all his heart. Sometimes he came to work drunk. You know, and I had to be trained by him. And every time he opened his mouth, you know. And, uh, but he was an excellent printer. He really knew how to, how to print. So after several weeks, and I'm just saying this for the glory of God, not, not for anything for me. But after several weeks, he said to one of our colleagues, and I was in the room. He said, you know, I, over the years, I have trained many people how to be a printer. These are big machines. They're they're very expensive, fast-moving machines. I've trained many people, but I've never had anyone learn as fast as John Routon. And then he said this. Mike, who was our boss who hired me, Mike says it's because he knows the Lord. Now, that's a wonderful thing when even sinners say, I think, I think it's because he knows the Lord. 
Come on, you can have a big cross around your neck. You can have a honk if you love Jesus sticker on the back of your car. But if people don't see the grace of God in your life, they won't be impressed. Potiphar was impressed. The company that you work for should be blessed just because you know the Lord. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Why? Why did God permit Joseph to go through all of these humiliating and degrading experiences? It was like a wilderness experience. But the wilderness is a place of preparation. There were lessons that Joseph needed to learn. He was a precocious young fellow, a little bit too, uh, uh, a little bit too fascinated with him, his own self. And there were, he needed to know that humility comes before honor. He needed to learn how to trust God in difficult situations. And I also think that God used this to prove himself, to prove that he can bless his people no matter where they are, and no matter what kind of circumstance they find themselves in. See, you say, oh, Lord, send me to some nice place where everybody's friendly and, and where the money's flowing like a river, milk and honey, Lord. And, and then God sends you to some horrible place <laughs> where everybody's a devil, a stingy devil. And you're thinking, no, Lord, you, you misunderstood. You didn't hear my prayer correctly. No, God puts you there for his glory and to prove his goodness. Can I get an amen? amen. Hallelujah. So Joseph was promoted in Potiphar's house to manager of the entire estate. Now, some people, I'm sure they're not here this morning. Some people want a title without toil. They want pay without productivity. They want recognition without responsibility. They want esteem without effort. In short, they want a government job. <laughs> but Joseph was not promoted simply because God loved him. God helped him to do all things well. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. And with Joseph in charge, the Bible tells us Potiphar did not have a care in this world. By the way, there's some people, if you promote them, you'll have nothing but care. There's some people, if you hire them, you're going to have headache after headache. Some people should say, migraine is my name, and the enemy sent me to bless you. I mean, <laughs> hallelujah. Amen. It should be that if you're working for others, they just say, you know, since you came here, Life has been easy for us. I wonder how many people from Nagaland, <clears throat> when they're hired, they say, since you came to work for us, there's been too many chiefs in the teepee. <laughs> Hallelujah. You still love me, right? So Joseph was promoted, but of course, you all know new levels mean new devils. New tears mean new trials. So Potiphar loved Joseph. Ooh, he loved Joseph. The only problem was, so did Mrs. Potiphar. <laughs> hmm. 
And if you read the story, I just don't have time to read every verse, you know. If you read the story, there was nothing subtle about her advances. If you don't know what I'm talking about, you probably don't need to know what I'm talking about. There was nothing subtle about the way she communicated her desire. She didn't just kind of like, you know, she said, let's do it. <laughs> if you should be in covenant, kids, you can be dismissed right now. <laughs> and, and, and she was very blunt and persistent. Now, usually, usually it's the man in an office place or in some workplace that's making all these aggressive advances. And the girl's like, no, come on, leave me alone. But now it's a woman. Now it's real quiet in this Presbyterian church. <laughs> now it's the woman, huh? And the Bible says she did this day after day after day after day. That means when Joseph woke up in the morning, he knew what was going to happen. I wonder what time she's going to come. Oh, here she comes right now. But he would not listen to her. In fact, he wouldn't even be near her. Hallelujah. Real quiet. This is now church slash Argenics. <laughs> then one day, then one day, the Bible tells it, it just so happened the house was empty. No one is there but Mrs. Potiphar. Gee, that's curious. I wonder how that happened. She arranged it. That's how it happened. And she grabbed him by the collar and said, all right, you're mine. I got gotcha. you. <laughs> and what did he do? He leaped out of his robe, leaped out of his garment. He ran home in his underpants. <laughs> he didn't try to reason with her. Now, listen, you know, the Bible says, he, no, she's not interested in Bible study right now. <laughs> She's not going to listen to that. He didn't say, now, sister, let's pray about this. <laughs> she would have said, yeah, let's kneel over here by the bed. <laughs> Sometimes you just need to get out of there. <laughs> Come on, it's real quiet today, isn't it? Hallelujah. What if, what if he had yielded to her insistence? I mean, he could have thought, hey, you know, this is not a bad thing because, you know, you know, I might get a lot of money, you know. She might purchase my freedom, you know. I'll, be, I'll, I'll, really be, I'll really be top dog around here if me and her are getting it on. If he had done that, it would have sabotaged the entire plan of God for his life. The devil offers you something that looks good, and it may be pleasant for the moment, but the devil is not your friend. He's trying to kill you. He's trying to destroy you. And Joseph knew that. Amen? However, instead of being commended for his virtue, he was accused of a crime. Mm. There is a suffering for righteousness. Did you know that? Some people suffer because they've done wrong. But then there are other people who suffer because they've done what's right. So he, he ended up in jail. He found himself in prison. So just when it looked like things are really going my way, another huge setback. I mean, when they escorted him to the central jail, he could have been angry, mad as a hornet. He could have become bitter. He could have given up all hope and just said, I don't even care anymore. 
Bring on all the Mrs. Potiphar's. I don't care anymore. No, no, no. He did not give up. He did not quit. And the Bible says in Genesis 39, 21, the Lord was with him. In prison, the Lord was with him. He showed him kindness and granted him favor in the eyes of the prison warden. I mean, even in a dark place, I'm sure that an Egyptian prison is not like a resort hotel. I'm sure it's a nasty place. I'm sure there's some mean characters in the Egyptian prison. Wouldn't you guess so? But even there, God's kindness reached to him. Nobody says the the jailer was this virtuous person, this wonderful, God-fearing person. He's probably a hard-hearted, cruel guy. But even God dealt with him And he showed kindness to Joseph. Even in prison, Joseph rose to the top. Why, if you throw a rock in the river, does it sink to the bottom? But if you throw in a piece of cork, it floats on top. It's what it's made of. It's the qualities that it's made of that determines whether it sinks or floats. It is your inward qualities not your outward circumstances that determine your success. Some people, you could put them in high positions and they will always sink to the bottom. Other people, you could try to put them down, but they'll rise to the top. That's Joseph. You be a Joseph. I said, you be a Joseph. People, people may come against you. Life is not always fair, but God is on your side. And if you will hold fast to your integrity and walk as God would have you live, you'll rise to the top. Are you out there today? So in prison, Joseph was promoted, just as he had been in Potiphar's house. And whatever work needed to be done, he did it. And verse 23, again, this is in Genesis 39, verse 23 says, and whatever he did, the Lord made it succeed. Whatever he did. That suggests to me, Joseph doesn't have experience in running a jail. He hasn't gone to college and got a degree in law. But no, regardless, God helped him with every choice he made. And the suggestion is, even if he really didn't make the right choice, God overrode it and said, doesn't matter, I'm going to make it work. God can even work through your mistakes. Hallelujah. So let's continue with the story. We have a few minutes here to go. In jail... He noticed two prisoners, the former butler of Pharaoh and the former baker, and they looked sad. So he asked them, why are your faces downcast today? And I want to ask some of you that same question. (laughs) Why are your faces downcast today? Now, that's a little comment, seems like no big deal, but it shows me something. In fact, two things. First of all, Joseph was concerned about other people. He's in jail, unjustly imprisoned, but he's concerned about his fellow inmates. What's wrong with you guys? Why do you look so sad, discouraged today? See, some people are so preoccupied with their own circumstances, so, so, uh, so focused on their own goals that they're blind to the needs and suffering of other people. So Joseph evidently was not like that. And second thing it shows me is this, 
Evidently, Joseph was not downcast and discouraged. He said, why are you guys so down today? Well, that implies that he was not that way. He didn't say, welcome to the club. No, he, he, he himself was, he was cheerful. Hallelujah. He, he was positive. Amen. It is impossible to believe God and be frustrated. I said, it's impossible to believe God and be frustrated. When you're like, nothing's working out, but I believe God. You lying dog, you. When you believe God, there's hope. There's a positive expectation. Things are going to improve for me. God is working on my case. It all started with a simple question. Why are you so downcast today? He could have just ignored them. He could have just said, who cares what these Egyptians think? I hate Egyptians. I hate every Egyptian. I hope I never see another Egyptian. But instead he said, what's wrong, guys? That was the beginning of the turn. That little, that little seemingly immaterial, unimportant little event, that was the turning point in his life. Right there, right there. And I'll tell you why. They explained, we each had a dream. and We don't know what it means. And so they shared their dream with Joseph. Joseph is the dreamer, the dreamer they tried to kill. And God showed Joseph the interpretation of that dream. And he told them, one of you will be restored. And when he heard, when he heard that, he was like, ooh, glory, glory. And the other guy said, let me tell you my dream. And he said, unfortunately, your dream means the opposite. <laughs> you're going you're to be executed. And it came to pass. And Joseph told uh, the, the butler, I believe it was the butler, he told the butler, and when Pharaoh restores you, remember me. I've been unjustly imprisoned. And I'm sure he said, oh, yes, brother, I will die. I'll never forget you. I'll always remember you. You always have a place in my heart. Next day he's released. Joseph who? I don't know any Joseph. <laughs> and Joseph spent two more years in jail. <laughs> I mean, let's be honest. If that was you, you'd be a Buddhist now. <laughs> you would have burned the Bible. <laughs> Come on, if that was you, you would become so discouraged, so angry, so hostile. But not Joseph. Not Joseph. You need to understand, the bigger the dream, usually the longer the wait. The bigger the dream usually means the longer the wait. Impatience robs many people of the fulfillment of their dreams. Joyce Meyer said this, Patience is not simply the ability to wait. It's how we behave while we're waiting. Now, Joseph had to wait. He had no choice. He's a prisoner. But he stayed true to God. He stayed consistent. He held on to his integrity. He, he walked in love toward other people. He worked just as hard in the prison as if they were paying him. Some people, you ask them to do something, they say, how much are you going to pay me? He didn't get paid nothing. 
How much did he get paid being a slave? Nothing. How much did he get paid in prison? Nothing. But he worked harder in prison than some of you do in your own job. It's real quiet today. I'm glad there's a door behind me because I may go out the back door today. Hallelujah. And then suddenly the day came. You want to make sure you're in position for promotion. Don't become weary in doing good so that you'd, if you, you because if you, if you faint and grow weary in doing good, you may not be ready when the harvest comes in. Position yourself for promotion. I know that some things take time in your life and you can become tired. But on the other hand, God can do some amazing things quickly in a single day. One day could change your life forever. Are you listening to me? Hallelujah. So what happened is back in the palace, Pharaoh had a dream, a dream that God gave him about the future, the future of the nation. So he called in his magicians, he called in his counselors, and nobody can interpret the dream. And and Pharaoh is just dumbfounded. And suddenly the butler says, hey, I just remembered something. I just remembered something two years ago. There was this guy I met in jail, and God uses him. So they called Joseph in, and he interpreted the dream. The dream was about seven years of plenty and then seven years of famine. And in fact, after interpreting the dream, Joseph then gave Pharaoh, king of of the nation, Wise counsel, a course of action to follow, to avert, to avert, to avoid disaster. And Pharaoh was so impressed, he made Joseph prime minister of Egypt. And he said to all of his counselors, the spirit of God is in this man. That tells me if you want your dream to come true, you need to stay full of the Holy Spirit. You cannot backslide. You cannot become dry. You have to stay full of the Spirit of God so he can use you so that you're ready when promotion comes. So Joseph went from the jailhouse to the White House in a single day. He went from the pit to slavery to prison to second in command of the country. Jacob gave Joseph a coat of many colors. Pharaoh gave Joseph a royal robe and position. Joseph saw his family bowing down before him. But in Egypt, as Joseph rode in a chariot, a caller went forth and said, bow the knee and Everybody bowed their knee to him. By the way, I often wonder what was going through Potiphar's mind when he heard the news. Joseph is now prime minister of Egypt. Our Joseph? I can just imagine him sitting at the breakfast table reading the newspaper. Da-da-da-da-da. He tells his wife, pack your bags. Why? Pack your bags. We're leaving Egypt now. (laughs) I can imagine in the chariot as as someone's riding him through the streets and they say, bow the knee. And people are bowing. And as he rides by, he gives a little wink at Potiphar. (laughs) Remember me? 
the one you threw in jail. <laughs> hey, Mrs. Potiphar, how you doing down there? <laughs> Hallelujah. Joseph took all the skills and the experience he had acquired in slavery and in prison and now applied those things in his new job. In God's economy, nothing is wasted. Even your pain is useful. And he managed the nation with excellence. Here's something interesting. Pharaoh changed Joseph's name to, I'll try to pronounce it, Zaphanath Pania, which means, has two meanings, revealer of secrets and savior of the land. And from Egyptian hieroglyphics, it means this. In Egyptian hieroglyphics, hieroglyphics, you know, they write like, like pictures. In Egyptian hieroglyphics, his new name means this, a wise man fleeing from adultery. What does that mean? They knew the story. They knew the story. Hallelujah. In many ways, Joseph is a type of Christ. He was sold for a few pieces of silver by his brothers, falsely accused and arrested, but then exalted to the right hand of a king. And Christ is the savior of the whole world. And before him, every knee must bow. Hallelujah. But there's just a little bit more, if you can bear with me. There's a little bit more that's so important. Those seven years of famine were so terrible that Jacob sent his remaining sons to Egypt to buy food. When they came, Joseph recognized him. them. They did not recognize Joseph. Joseph had been tested, and he thought, now's my chance to test them. And so he inquired about their situation, and they told him all about their family. Their youngest brother, Benjamin's at home with their father. And then suddenly Jacob accused them, uh, sorry, Joseph accused them of being spies. And he said, Simeon will stay here with me. You guys go home and bring your youngest brother to me. And they thought, we can't do that. They went home and told Jacob what the man said. And Jacob began to cry and say, everything is working against me. But actually, he didn't know it, but all things are working for him. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. So finally, Reuben, remember Reuben? He said to his father, I promise, I promise I'll look after Benjamin. I promise you, he's going to come back to you. And if he doesn't, Take my two sons and slay them. Suddenly we see sacrifice and a willingness and a concern for others. They returned with Benjamin and they got the food. And Joseph instructed his helpers to secretly insert a silver cup in Benjamin's knapsack or in his camel's uh, sack. And after they left, Joseph pursued after them and said, you're thieves. One of you has stolen something from my house. And they, they, were, they, were, they vehemently protested and said, we're not thieves. We're not that kind of people. Search, search, search our belongings. Search our luggage. And if you find something in anybody's knapsack, in his suitcase, put that person to death. 
Well, they went to Benjamin. They opened up his knapsack. There was a silver cup, and they tore their clothes. They were like, oh, God. Oh, God. And Judah, this time, came forward and said, please, please don't harm him. Don't harm him. Take me instead. Let him go. I'll, I'll be your slave. I'll, I'll, I'll go to prison. I'll die for him. But take him instead. And Joseph, at that, he couldn't bear it any longer. And with tears in his eyes, he told them, I am Joseph, whom you sold into slavery. I would love to have been there and seen the look on their faces when he said those words. They probably went, oh, crap. <laughs> We're all going to die. We are going to die today. Our whole family is going to die. And he said, what you meant for evil, God meant for good. God's dream for your life is bigger than you understand. It wasn't just people showing honor and respect to Joseph. It was much more significant than that. Number one, obviously he saved the Jewish race from extinction. They could have died, starved it in that famine. But there's an, even a more important reason. His life brought them together as a family. They weren't a family. They were 12 sons from four different mothers. They're competing against one another, vying against one another. They're not a family. They're a dysfunctional family. But by the end of the story, we see Reuben saying, take my sons. Judah saying, I'll die. Take, take me instead of him. They're caring for one another. They're loving one another. His life molded them into a true family, God's family. That's why the dream was so important. And the dream for your life serves a bigger purpose than your own comfort and prestige. It's to help humanity and advance the kingdom of God. Would you stand with me to your feet this morning? Hallelujah. Can you lift up your voice toward heaven? Let's praise him and give him thanks for his.